I heard this great quote that I want to share with you this morning. It's this. Prayer is a window into a person's heart. When you pray, when I pray, it's revealing what's within. Our desires, our dreams, our hopes, our concerns, our struggles, they're revealed when we pray. They reveal about whom we love and what we want to see God do in their lives. We, when we pray, we're begging God to do something within, to do something outside in our communities, in our world. It reveals what truly is in the depths of our soul. Well, as we continue the gospel of John, which we're going chapter by chapter all the way through to the end, we get to John chapter 17. And John chapter 17 is Jesus' prayer. It's just Jesus and the Father. And we get a glimpse into Jesus' heart. Because when Jesus prays, we get to see what is really going on. What do you want? What do you believe? What do you want for yourself? What do you want for us? And he's going to pray for himself, which is really cool to see Jesus answer his own prayer. But then we're going to see that he prays for you and me. He's going to pray for us moments before he's arrested, moments before he's going to die on the cross. You and I are on his mind, and he's praying for something specific for us. And my hope is that Jesus' prayer would be answered in these walls. That when he thought of us over 2,000 years ago, we don't just read that prayer and think, oh yeah, that's a great prayer. No, it was offered to the Father, and we can answer that. What does that look like? So open your Bibles to John chapter 17. We're going to jump right in to verse 1. Jesus begins with this. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to the heavens and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. A few verses later, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, when we go back to verse 1, it says, Father, the hour has come. Everything in Jesus' life has come to this moment, this hour, where he will be betrayed and arrested and crucified, and then he will rise again. This is the hour. And when he gets to this point, not just here, but his entire life, he says, look, I want to bring you glory, glory, by completing the work that I have done done, that I was called to do. When I was born until I died and rise again, I want to bring you glory. That word glory is repeated in John chapter 17 seven times, which is a theme that Jesus wants us to understand. There is something big happening when it comes to this concept of glory. Glory is the Greek word doxazo, and it means great honor, praise, value, wonder, splendor. To bring glory to something means you are going to do whatever it takes to show that thing off. Because it's so worthy, so praiseworthy, so excellent, so amazing that everything that you do, you want to shine a spotlight on that thing. And Jesus says, when I came to this earth, all the way through to the end, my life is to shine a spotlight on the Father. That when people see me, they see who God really is. This loving, grace-filled, forgiving God. Everything that I do in my life points to him. And we see Jesus do that. What he did, living the life that we were called to live. 
dying in our place so that we can be with him forever. That brought glory to the Father. That We look at that and say, man, that Father is so good, so worthy, so amazing. Jesus shines a bright spotlight on the Father. But when Jesus prays, it's not about just himself bringing glory to the Father. He did his work. But most of the remaining prayer, a revelation of Jesus' heart is for us. He prays something for you and I. How can you and I, right now, in the way that we live our lives every single day, bring glory to the Father? Well, here's Jesus' prayer. And if he just prays something and you and I say, that's just so beautiful, but we just let it go, what a waste. Let's accept this and do something about it and become the answer to Jesus' prayer 2,000 years later. Here's what he says, verse 11 through 12. Now I'm leaving, I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. If you're a parent or a grandparent or you're an aunt, uncle, you know what it means to try your very best to protect and guard your kids. Even if you're a coach, you'll do whatever you can to protect them from injury. There's so many things that we try to do to guard our kids, whether they're small or large, from the world and the influence of it and the pain that comes from it. We try to guard and protect them from illness, from bullying, from friends that can lead them astray. If you have older children as adults, even you feel that burden still to protect them and hopefully make the right choices of marrying the right person and taking the right job and, and heading in the right direction for the rest of their lives. We will do anything to protect and guard our kids. And because the world is so crazy and so dark, I came up with a theory. I think in order to do that well, I think we, from the moment our kids are born, should just put them in a bubble. Like literally, if you've ever seen the show Seinfeld, remember Bubble Boy? They went to view this kid who's in a bubble, protected by germs. I thought that would be great. So I looked on Amazon, can I just put my kids in a bubble? Uh, there were some bubbles there. Google said, no, they'll call the police on me. So I couldn't do that. <laughs> but we want to do that, but we know deep down we can't. And the reason we can't, not only because it would be physically wrong, but you and I know it's through some of the mistakes, unfortunately, we've made that we are who we are today. Life can be a great teacher if we allow it. And oftentimes our kids, even though we love them the most, we can't take them out of the world. They're going to be in the world. But we pray and we hope they make the right choices along the way. And if they don't, we bring them back in and we love them and we send them back out. That's Jesus' heart for us. He wants to guard and protect us, but he will not put us in a bubble. He will not say, okay, I want you guys to be safe from this world. So just get in this bubble and don't come out. Never. Will Jesus pray that? That goes against the mission of Jesus, the mission that he has for us, and I'll tell you what that is in a moment. He doesn't pray to protect us and guard us and keep us locked up. Here's what he prays. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, no. But to keep them safe 
from the evil one. Just like you and I want to keep our kids safe from all of these things in the world, Jesus wants to do that with us when it comes to following the evil one. And we're not talking about the devil with, uh, dressed in red with a pitchfork. That's a caricature of the devil. No, the evil one wants to sell you on something so subtly that when you follow it, you think it will give you all that you want. But then when you get to the end, you're thinking, what did I just do? I just wasted my life or I made my life miserable because of these things. Jesus protects and prays to protect us from the evil one's influence of greed, judgmentalism, pride and selfishness, addiction, looking for sex outside of marriage. Those kinds of things where, man, our hearts beat really fast for some of those things. He said, I'm going to protect you from that. You don't belong to this. You belong to something different. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to send you into the world. It just means that you ought to be different in it. That's what I love he says in the next verse. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. In the world, sent out in the world, no such thing as a bubble, but they should look differently. So in a cold-hearted world, when people interact with us, they see warmth, love, grace, forgiveness, generosity, When people in this world interact with us and we're suffering, we don't go around and we just say, praise the Lord, everything's okay, because sure, we can say that, but that doesn't mean that we're still not feeling pain. We don't stick our head into the sand. We don't act like everything's all peachy keen, because it oftentimes isn't. But how we respond to that is a great way to tell people, look, I'm in pain, and I hate it, and I've already told God how I feel, but I still have hope. I still have hope. Imagine being in the world but looking different than everybody else. Not better. Not elite. Not above people. Different. And Jesus prays for us to be different so that we bring glory to the Father. The way you and I should live should shine a bright light on the Father so when people look at us, they look at God and say, wow, he is worthy. He is great. He is amazing. Jesus tells us how that can happen. Because some of you are like, yeah, I want to live differently, but it's really hard. It is hard. But Jesus gives us the way to do it. And he prays this. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is verse 17 in the NIV. I love that NIV brings out this word sanctify. Sanctification. If you're not from the church world, you probably don't use that every single day in your lingo. But this word simply means to set something apart for a specific reason. So Jesus says, sanctify them. He says, I want them to look different. When they're with their coworkers, their friends, their family, they look the same, but they act differently. They don't act better than people. They actually act in a way that wants to serve people and love people. And he says in order to do that, to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be holy, you have to be shown how to do that because on our own we are not. On our own we like to go this way. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. And then if we're wondering what is truth, which we'll hit next week in John 18, Jesus gives us a preview of that here. What is truth? Your word is truth. 
Verse 18, I give my, or 19, excuse me, I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. If you want to be sent out into the world to bring glory to God and you want to be different and you keep trying to be different on your own and you're not in God's word daily, you simply will not change. You can try to grit it out. You can try to throw a lot of willpower towards it, but willpower is a limited resource that empties out pretty quickly and you go back to what you've always known. That's why you have to be in a different source. Jesus says, for those who are in my word daily, you will be different and you can bring glory to the Father. That's why here at the chapel, we have so many different resources because I know you, don't, you pick up the Bible, you're like, where do I start? We have the Dwell Bible app, which is free. We have the Right Now Media, which is free. We have a devotion that our pastor sent out an email form twice a week so you can read it and grow. All those resources are at our Welcome Center at the end that you can download it today and start to grow and be like Jesus. Because if you're not in the Word and the Word is not transforming you, you can't become like Jesus. There'll be a deficiency there. And people will notice that. Or maybe they won't notice it. And that's even worse. If they don't notice you're different. That's called apathy. And apathy is one of the worst things that you can throw at somebody and live like. I've said this before, but it's the truth. If you want to know if I'm in God's word, don't ask me. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. Even over this five-week sabbatical, I'll be honest, I wasn't in God's word as much. I got lazy in a lot of aspects of my life, and it reflected in the way that I lived. I was so more prone to choose things I normally wouldn't if I'm in God's word. I responded and reacted in ways that I normally wouldn't if I was in God's word. It's the tether to truth. Truth transforms. It makes us more like him. And when you and I start to be set apart and we look more and more like Jesus, then we get to do what Jesus did. He prays this in the preceding verse, in verse 18. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Years ago, I was talking to a doctor from the chapel. And we were just talking about, not medical knowledge, but her calling. Wrestling through that, what does that look like? And so I asked her a question. I said, who has the more holy and impactful profession? You or me? And of course, she laughed immediately and answered, probably like a lot of us would, well, of course you do. You're a pastor. You have a degree in the Bible. And I laughed and I said, I understand why you think that, but let me tell you, you're wrong. You're wrong. And I went on to tell her this. Every single day that you see patients, they have chosen you as their doctor. There's lots of doctors around, lots of good doctors around, but they are seeing you today. And while I know you can't through their workup think, okay, what's your family history? What medicines are you on? Do you know Jesus as your savior? No, you can't do that. I get it. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the love and the care and the bedside manner and the way that you reflect God in your job 
will show people that you're different, being sent into the world to show people Jesus. Of all the nurses and all the office staff that you have, they've chosen to serve with you and you can tell them about Jesus. They know where you go to church. They know what you do and you can reflect that in such a way that maybe they want to come to church someday or maybe want to know more about Jesus because you're shining a light on him. I told her, I said, look, yeah, I speak to hundreds of people a weekend, but you have to come to me. <laughs> I'm a pastor. I, I work with Christians. I think, are you a Christian, Jeff? Okay, good. I didn't know for sure, but no. I work with all these Christians. I am in a bubble all the time. The only chance I'm able to get out of my bubble to really shine Jesus, the people that really aren't Christians are when I'm coaching my son's team or, or if I'm serving on the Perkins school board. Hopefully I can have an influence like that. But other than that, I don't have a holy set-apart profession in the sense of I can't go and influence the world like you. So when I ask you the question, who has a more holy profession, you or me? The answer is you, by a long way. The same is with you. Every single day when you walk back into work, whether you're going to back to work as a teacher or administrator, or you're in construction, or you're in lawn care, or you're ringing up groceries at Meijer, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer, a businesswoman, maybe you're a pilot, Whatever you do, the way that you work and interact with people and serve people and love people and forgive people, you are showing people who Jesus is. You're living out the mission Jesus had himself because Jesus, the only thing he wanted to do in his 33 years where when people looked at him, he just wanted to shine a bright light on the Father. And you may say, oh, I'm retired or I'm a stay-at-home parent. I don't go out as much. Guess what? Whether you're at the grocery store or the gym or you're at your kids' games, wherever you are, you have an opportunity to reflect who Jesus is. Whatever reason, those people are in your circle of influence. What are you going to do about it? Now, I know there are people. I mean, you've said, okay, I get that. I'm trying to do that on a daily basis. We all fail. It's not about perfection. But I have family. I have friends. I have coworkers who I've tried to tell about Jesus. I tell about church. They've rejected Jesus. And I am convinced that one of the main reasons people reject Jesus have nothing to do with the Bible or Jesus as much as it has to do with us. There are people. I've heard countless stories. They're like, I know this person. They say they go to church. They don't act like it. Or it, maybe you're one of those people, if you had to go tell your coworkers or people that don't really know you well that you went to the chapel on Sunday, would they say, oh yeah, that makes sense. That lines up with your character. Or would they like, uh, what are you trying to like prove something to God? Or are you trying to like be a better person? Because they would think that's not what you look like on a daily basis. A lot of times it's people that look like me, Christians, who ruin this place for so many. And that's why 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew, knew that that would be the case. He knew the temptation that us as Christians would have to make the church about us and not about him. And so 2,000 years ago, moments before he would be pulled away, arrested, beaten, and killed, he prayed for you and me. And he prayed something specific. 
And my prayer is that we would take this seriously. He says, I'm, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Not just for the 12, anyone who will believe in me. That's you and me. We're on Jesus' heart right before he dies. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that we may be one. I am in them and you are in me. This is the kicker. May they experience such perfect unity so that as a result of this thing happening, look what happens. The world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. When I read that last verse, when Jesus says, this is how people will know that the Father loves them, that I am real, that I came to do for them something they couldn't do for themselves. He doesn't pray that the church would have amazing worship music. He doesn't pray that we would be the biggest and the best and the most successful. He did not pray that the pastors would give great sermons and look handsome like Pastor Jeff. Like that just wasn't in Jesus' prayer. He prays one thing, unity. As I reflected, why unity? Now, he doesn't say uniformity. Uniformity means we have to believe every little thing. Unity, he says, means to fight for the main thing and to keep the main thing the main thing. And we as a church have made a lot of things the main thing over 2,000 years ago. And so often, it does not reflect Jesus' main thing. The main thing is summed up in two sentences. Love God. Love people. We oftentimes make it about preference. That's why I know people who have gone from church to church to church to church trying to figure out Where's the perfect this and the perfect that? And the sermon has to say this and the music has to say that. I've heard churches split over carpet color. And that sounds so stupid. Because it is. And so often as Christ followers, we make little things the main thing while ignoring the main thing that Jesus says is the main thing. And you and I wonder, why our coworkers, our family, and our friends don't want to come to church. Imagine that somebody wanted you to do something, to believe something they believe, and then you looked inside, you opened up the hood to check what's really happening, and there's so many issues, so many struggles, so much infighting, you would shut the lid and say, no thanks. It's not different with the church. If we get the unity part right, and we fight together for the main thing of loving God and loving people the way God loves them. I'm not saying that we'd have to add 18 more services here. 
But not only do I believe more people would come to church, I believe, which is more important than anything, that they would really start to have a better view of God. Because our culture doesn't. Not because they're so this way, but because we have not answered Jesus' prayer. Jesus prayed it and he said, if you answer it, we will be unstoppable. The world will know. You see, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed a prayer and we said prayer is a window in somebody's heart. Jesus did his part. You and I are called to do our part. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to be different because the scriptures that we are in every single day is transforming us so that God can send us out into the world. And if we're sent into the world and we tell people about Jesus, people will hopefully take us seriously because when they open up the hood of the church, they see that we are keeping the main thing, the main thing. So, Jesus prayed that prayer 2,000 years ago and our pastor's Updated it a little bit, and we want to pray it together now. So, I just want to go line by line with you. If you would repeat every line, give it a break to really just take it in, and then we'll go line by line. So say it out loud with me. Father God, we ask you, you would glorify yourself through our lives. Let's just pause there. Ready? We pray that others would get a greater glimpse of your love because of how we love. Father, please protect us from the evil one and protect those who are serving you all around the world. Sanctify us, Lord, by your truth. Make us holy by your word. Keep us from division and disunity. Help us to love one another and fight for unity. May we experience such perfect unity that the world will know that Jesus is the Savior. Father, glorify your name in all the earth. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday.